Welcome, everyone. Here we are today again. We are today talking with Jamie Taran, and she is a certified career coach coming to us from New York. She's here to talk to us about women who want to have a career and the transition from becoming a mom, but still wanting to have that thing that you do out of the house that is your own and how you balance that with motherhood. <laughs> it's it's a lot. She's been doing it for eight years. She has a degree in biology from Brown University, and she has now transitioned into this career. So it'll be interesting to hear how that came about. Thanks for joining us, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right. Can we start with your background and where you grew up and how you became to be who you are and what you're doing today? Yeah, big question. I am a native New Yorker. I grew up in New York City in one of the outer boroughs, which if you are a New Yorker means a lot, but if not, probably means nothing. And I progressed through my life expecting to be a doctor. I was diagnosed with a relatively benign medical condition when I was young in doctor's offices a lot and thought that would be the path for me, which is why I have a degree in biology. I ultimately went to Brown University where I was very fortunate to get my education and had an incredible experience, graduated still thinking I was pre-med, and then around 25 years old realized that my pursuit of medicine was much more focused in the external, thinking this was respected and impressive um, and not in the reality of that process. So once I took a look at the fact that I had been working for some time, I had grown into myself a little bit and didn't necessarily want to go into half a million dollars of debt, give up 10 years of my life, et cetera, for that goal. I recognized I wasn't going that direction, but had absolutely no idea what I was going to do. And what I did was take the first job someone gave me, which actually moved me from New York to California, which was a huge change for me. I didn't know anyone there. Um, it was ultimately one of the best decisions I made for myself because it really forced me to understand who I was and what I wanted. It bringing us up to today. Now I have a beautiful daughter who just turned two and a career that's really fulfilling for me. I help women figure out the answer to that question I asked myself years ago. And honestly, we'll talk about how that's a question we ask ourselves over and over and over again throughout our lives. I think if there's one misconception about when we graduate at 22, it's that you're done figuring out your future. And really, it happens over and over and over. And thank goodness it does, because it'd be pretty boring if we just stayed the person we were when we were 22. I mean, it's scary for some and boring. <laughs> and you said that um, with that question you were talking about and, and that we're going to discuss is, what do I want to do with my life? That seems like also an identity level question. Who am I really? And as you grow and change and go through these different phases of life, that answer will change. Absolutely. Identity shifts are guaranteed to happen. And we're going to talk about probably one of the biggest identity shifts, which even though we make a decision to become a parent in most cases or many cases, I should say, 
it is somewhat forced upon us the moment the baby is here. Even no matter how much pre- preparation you do, I think you can't really prepare for what that shift will be like for you. You're anticipating the external changes, not the internal changes. So that's what you specialize in, is helping women to figure out how they're going to keep being, well, like, oh, I guess you better summarize it because I don't really know how to how to explain it. But I, I can feel what it is, but I don't know how to say it the way you would. Yeah. Do you want to ask, like, so how would you summarize? Yeah, well... With that, that shift that they're going through, that shift is not just the career, but also inside of them and balancing being a mom with who they were and want to be, I assume. That is perfect. Okay. Often when I interact with women and new moms, it's a couple months after they've gone back to work. And they're starting to question everything from why won't my baby sleep? Do they hate me? To what is this career that six months ago I thought was fine, right? In the States, we have such limited time off and most women will work until the day they give birth. So when you go back to work, it's not been that much time. And I remember thinking my whole world is different, but everything else here is the same. And that was really jarring for me. And for most of the women that I work with, they experience the same or something quite similar to that when they go back to work. And it involves a lot of self-doubt because we put it onto ourselves instead of recognizing, like you said, it's an identity shift. So describe that internal identity shift that you find most of your clients go through. What is it they're questioning and how do you help them resolve it? Yeah. Most women. So most of the time when I'm speaking with ambitious, career oriented women, they are returning to work, which means they've outsource childcare in one way or another, whether that's to a partner who's fortunate enough to have leave, to a daycare or a school, as we call it in my home, to a relative. That's a whole decision-making process that is often done quickly and out of necessity. And that decision combined with going back to office whether that means or combined with going back to work, whether that means physically going to an office, just being at home working or something in between, it means your brain is working in a very different way than it has since you had the baby. For those first couple of weeks, months, it's consumed in this tiny person who's crying and you don't know why and adorable and wonderful and driving you crazy all of a sudden you're asked to go back to the person you were before you had this baby when you sit in that chair to do your work. And many people have that feeling I described, which is, wait a second, everything's exactly the same as it was. And all of a sudden they're facing a almost a disappointment with their whole life. Like this baby is challenging. They're wonderful, but they're challenging. 
And now they have to leave this amazing, wonderful, challenging baby that they made physically or or emotionally to work in a job that is just not that great. And it doesn't have to be terrible. Like, I don't want to imply that everyone goes back to work and realizes, wait, I've been in this horrible job forever and I never noticed. It's often just not good enough to feel worthwhile when you have the choice of being with the incredible, wonderful, beautiful, challenging baby. So it makes me think of the growth that happens when a woman becomes a mother, because it is a complete shift. It's an expansion. Suddenly there's part of you, but outside of yourself. And it's so much more than you were before to go through the the transition of just me then suddenly me plus this person it is so much more um the the highs and the lows of the emotions like you were talking about are so much more than you can do on your own so much more and so i think that might be part of it is why beforehand you're going okay this is normal this office work or whatever work i'm doing this is just my normal life but suddenly you go through this explosive and rapid growth of emotional range and you come back and everything seems to be sort of gray and dull because now you can see further on and see more colors. Your life is just so much more open and you go back and there's still this tiny little window of where you were functioning before. And then you go, well, no, there's a lot more than this. And I know that now, but I'm still expected to function on this lesser level. Yes. And I just, um, I actually have a podcast as well. It's called So Tell Me About Yourself. So if your listeners are looking for another pod to listen to, check that out. And in honor of Halloween this year, I released an episode about the fear of, is this it? And that's a question that comes up a lot with these moms. They're sitting at their desk doing this job that was perfectly fine before thinking, is this is this it? Is this what I'm going to be doing forever? It's very paralyzing. It makes a lot of women wonder if they are meant to work at all, which we can dive deeper into the realities of that question. Um, And ultimately, it makes a lot of reflection happen. But like you said, when you're inundated with all these big feelings and emotions and a whole other person, I feel like I constantly reflect on how before I had my daughter, I thought I was really busy or I thought I was making decisions with other people or even just future me in mind. And everything about my decision making is different now. Everything is so much more analyzed and calculated than it ever was. And I'm a pretty deliberate analytical person and it's heightened. So imagine the woman who maybe was more free and easygoing who all of a sudden is facing um sitting at their desk with this oh my god what am I doing is this the right thing decision making that they never even felt before I think the idea of that heightened emotion is so relevant to this conversation yeah it makes a lot of sense what you're saying there so you were talking about when women come to you and they say hey you know I don't know what to do I'm at a crossroads. I feel like I want to be home with my child. I've also loved my career beforehand and I'm conflicted. How do you help them? 
while it's certainly different for every woman's journey, the first thing I always encourage these women to do is is pause. Um, Allow themselves the moment they probably never had, which is to just decide that right now change isn't happening. Change happens enough at home. You just had a baby. At work, it's not going to happen. And that can be really difficult for someone who's ambitious and motivated by change. Life can get really boring really quickly if you're used to chasing dopamine in the form of like career change and growth. And it also can bring on a lot of negative self-talk. Why am I not growing? I should be doing these things. It brings on a lot of comparison. So-and-so's accomplishing this. You know, so-and-so had a baby and parentheses, their wife didn't had to take a year off to take care of that child, but he was promoted when he went back to work. In my life, I actually saw that personally. My husband, we were incredibly lucky that he had a great, for the state's paternity leave policy. He was able to be with my daughter for three months. I think if he learned anything from that, it was essential to his parent journey and it allowed him to bond with her in a way that he probably would not have had he not taken that time. But when I started working again, and we can talk a little bit more about my my work life if you'd like, but when I started working again in all capacities, I felt very cautious about bringing her on a meeting or having her cry in the background because I was working from home and he was home with her. So she was around, um, which another thing we're very lucky for. He, however, if he brought her on a meeting, it was celebrated and it was fun. And dad was doing something amazing. Look at you, dad. You have a baby on your lap and you're doing work. And that's not the way that women experience that transition. So if we start comparing to others and putting it on ourselves that we're doing something wrong or we're not keeping up, all that negative self-talk come, creeps in as well. So the first step with most of my clients and even in the like complimentary call, I'm like, I invite you to take a pause and allow yourself a period of figuring it out, which which can be really hard when you feel a lot of pressure to move forward. Okay, I have two questions that came in my mind when you were speaking. The first one I want to ask is your average or say typical client who comes in to meet you, what is their original trajectory in life? What were they actually aiming for? Yeah, I think the majority of women I speak with had planned to be working mothers. They did not plan to Uh, leave the workforce after having their child. Some financially, that decision is motivated. Uh, For some of those women, that that decision is motivated financially. But a lot of them just always saw themselves as working parents for a variety of reasons, whether they saw that in their own parents, whether they saw the opposite and wanted to do things differently. They had anticipated in their life that there would be a lot of career change and growth. So they saw themselves in leadership roles, managing people. And most of all, I find the women that experience this particular challenge 
are mission and impact driven. They want to do work that matters and not just for the paycheck. So what kind of work would that be? That could be anything. A lot of people think, well, only mission-driven people want to save the world in one way or another. And that is not the case. It doesn't have to be wholly philanthropic. The example that I give often is that your mission can be to get cool, fun products into the hands of consumers that want them. There's nothing terribly philanthropic about that except that people get what they need, right? It's not, you know bringing water to communities that have that don't have clean water or you know creating world peace which is something we probably all hope for right now um but that mission what i mean when i say mission and impact it's that you want to do something that matters and it's really important that it matters to you to them and to the org they're working for. I find there's a duality there that they need to think it matters, but their organization needs to be cognizant of it. So there is a certain external factor that I think a lot of women experience that maybe would be quote unquote better if we didn't, but it is the reality and I am a strong advocate for embracing the reality and not fighting against your own experience yeah well it sounds like i've been speaking with people lately that are really mission driven and it's really cool to see the different missions that people have and as they do that the changes the positive changes they're making in the world and it's wonderful work that they're doing so it sounds like they come to you a little bit torn in two i want to make this wonderful change for everybody else when I also have this child that I am their world. Yeah. And they're yours, right? Like in yeah. some way you have this baby and it, it is your world. It is, you made them, right? Like there's no words to describe that experience. And they, what we haven't discussed because I think it's the, toughest part and so even in this conversation where we're almost in it unintentionally avoiding it they have guilt that they want more than this tiny person and their partner and their friends and their family that they still deep down crave that individual identity a dear friend of mine um sent me a text message the first time i traveled away from my daughter and it was like one overnight to a conference for an organization I'm really passionate about, professional women in healthcare. And the text message said, are you remembering who Jamie is, not just mom or mama? And it was so, so accurate. Like, of course, I'm still, I feel those things very deeply intertwined. And we talked about identity a little bit before. Something I ask a lot of working moms is, does the term working mom fit for you? And for me, it fits. I feel like I am consistently both working and a mom, not all the time, but like as an identity. A lot of women actually experience it differently, which is so interesting to me. Um, I think there's a regional nature to this a little bit, um, depending on like where you are and, and your experience and time off and all of that. 
But for me, I feel like Jamie and mom 100% of the time. I've experienced for other, I've spoken with other women who feel like more of a shifting hats experience. Like now I've got my mom hat, I'm home. And now I've got my work hat or I've got my, you know, friend hat or whatever it is when they're in the different scenarios. Yeah, I think you're right. One of the things that, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Carry on. No, no, no. Yeah, sorry about that. So I just wanted to kind of summarize that to say that there's an aspect of guilt when we are loading on, especially if you're someone like me who feels like it's an additional hat. You know, like there's that there's like a children's book about caps and a picture on the cover is a guy wearing a lot of hats. And I feel like there is a guilt to that to want to be away from your child at in some way or another, even though it's healthy and important and essential for for most people to have that space. Just one second. Thank you for that. <laughs> You're very sure. patient. Um, one thing that you sort of addressed, but we haven't fully addressed yet either, is I think that working mom title, for some people, that's great. But for other people, I guess just depending on, you really can't win one way or the other. Someone's going to say something. But for some people, they'll... Um, almost put that as a either a badge of honor or you know a cone of shame depending on their point of view yeah and I think it also offends some moms who don't get paid for their work that some moms are called working moms and and others are not like you started this there's no good there's no good answer um ultimately though I think if we just agree that working mom is a descriptive term of somebody who is paid to do a job at some point outside of the job of momming, then we can take away some of the morality. I don't think we need to assign morality to any one of these identities. And yeah. once we assign morality to any identity, it's kind of like, you know, there's a lot of judgment if you are in a management role versus not a management role, or if you have a job that's an hourly job versus a salaried job. If we could all just eliminate the morality of work and recognize that work is just an aspect of our lives that may be more or less meaningful, even the term ambitious, I think, can bring up a lot of emotions. I use that term because it does resonate with the women that I can most help and that I most um, align with. But I think it also can bring up some feelings if somebody doesn't align with that term that they're less than. And that is not at all any implication that I try to make. It's simply a mindset and it's a mindset that can change just like identity. Mindsets change over life. Sometimes we are very motivated to achieve and grow as people, whether that's at work, at home. I mean, look at someone who trains for a race, whether that's a 5K running race or a marathon. That's an ambitious decision to take on some new challenge. And other times we survive and there shouldn't be any morality associated between any of those things. Yeah, agreed. I think a lot of times people 
are quick to assign some level of value to a word or a profession. And I think when we do that, we do it at our peril because why compare? Comparison is the thief of joy. Who's that? Say yes. Completely true. Absolutely. And living in New York the majority of my life, we are a city that loves to complain. Like simply put, we are a city that loves to complain. It's a race for hours, especially when you're young. Oh, I worked, you know, 50 hours. Well, I worked 60 hours. Even even going back to college, I remember that competition for like least slept, most studied. Looking back on it, those lost the lost sleep probably was the difference between someone getting an A and a B, but not in a positive way. Like, you know, that extra hour studying probably made you so exhausted that you couldn't remember anyway, right? So I think overall, taking away some of the comparison, I mean, all moms, all people, but especially all moms should want to support and help one another. Just sort of an anecdote. One of the things that for me is very daunting is what happens when my daughter's in regular school, which in our area is something like nine to three, exactly impossible with a working, a traditional working schedule. And I spoke with another mom in our area whose kids are a lot older. And she was explaining how, you know, simply put, she's like, you make stay at home mom, again, no morality, just a descriptive term, stay at home mom friends, because they can pick your kid up at three, do the first leg of transport to the activities, and then you can do the pickup and take home from those activities. And it made me realize how self-harming, you used a better word word than that, um, it is to create conflict between all these different identities because they're essential to supporting one another. Yeah. It made me think again, like we're talking about the mission and your family and being a mom. For me, what I'm doing with this job is a mission that I do, not just for the women who are now listening, but for my children and to create a world that will be better for them. I wonder if other moms feel the same way. I think I think all moms must, right? Because we by nature, want to have have our kids have what we didn't have. You know, it, it's funny sometimes when I speak with friends and we all have such different experiences in childhood. And that comes through when we have our own adult situations. For me, I am particularly touched when I ask my daughter to take me to her room, show me where you're bedroom is. I grew up in an apartment, so I shared a room. The first time I had my own room was college. And it always strikes me like, wow, I've given her this thing that I wanted. And and not in an active, like disappointed way as a child, but it was always on my mind that I didn't have my own room. And it strikes me when that she does have her own space. So I think most people want to create something more for their kids. Do you find that your clients, when thinking about their missions that they're on, that framing it in that way helps them to be more at peace with carrying on in their careers? I will say that I don't think my clients always are aware 
that they're mission driven when we are starting our conversations. I think they just realize or want more. Like, I want to grow. I want more money. I want more. And the first challenge that they're facing is to recognize that the the next phrase there is more impact, more meaning. And so first we have to recognize that they want more meaning or impact. And then we have to address their fear that more meaning and impact means less money because we think that you can't have both. And you know, so many, so many women I speak with, the initial conversation we have is we were told as a generation, like I'm a core millennial aged individual, if you're listening to this, but I think on both sides, generally, generationally, we were very fortunately cultivated and consistently told, like, you could be anything you want, right? I remember being asked, pretty often as a child, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And in my mind, the answer that I like wish my child could have, although, you know, I still exist in reality. I know this won't be the case. Is like happy. Like I want her to feel that she wants to be happy in her life. That definitely wasn't what I thought the answer to that question was as a kid, because I was answering with either a childlike silly answer. I want to be an astronaut baseball player or I wanted to be a doctor, right? A really practical answer. And the problem was with everyone recognizing, okay, we have diminished girls and women for a long time. We better tell them they can be anything. You can be anything you want. Nobody ever said how to figure out what they should do. (laughs) Everyone just like, you could be anything. And depending on your life experience, your exposure to careers, even the college and the education that you receive, you may or may not be exposed to the thing that will be most fulfilling to you. I don't believe that everyone has like one passion or one direction in life, but I do think that there are careers and working experiences that are more or less fulfilling for every person. And when you're asked, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then nobody asks you ever again after you're 22. And you haven't had this like gut I want to make the world a better place. I want to, um, Emily Oster is an awesome economist, writer for moms and women, if anyone, if you are familiar with her or not, great resource. I think her mission is something like she wants to make the most educated mom experience for women. Like she wants to put out data and help people make their own decisions. If that doesn't just like strike you down in a dream that you're left feeling like, well, maybe all I want to do is make money or I'm just lost and unsure and going to be unfulfilled and stuck in this like, is it is this it moment forever? Uh, How do you spell her name? Emily Oster. Uh, Emily and then O-S-T-E-R. Okay. Just for anyone who wants to go look up her information or um, find out more about what she does. So the, what you've been saying this whole time has made me think it's um, when I was a child, people would ask, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And my answer was always a mom. That was my, that was my go-to. I really just wanted to be a mom. And obviously that has happened. And since then, I remember like what you're talking about, this transition of my kids are getting 
going to grow up and they're going to go. And then what? You know, that identity shift. And having gone through a lot of education online and learning, you know, just the continual development that people do as they, uh, as time passes. I've come to this conclusion that this is what I want to do is help women to have happy and strong families. And so I can see what you mean about this shift of figuring out your way forward. And for me, I think it was the other way where mom was first and then career then came on later on. But when it's career first and then mom and then your clients say, and now I have a career decision to make. And what do I do? So do you find you have a lot of clients that carry on with what you said you have them pause and take a minute and not change? And what, what goes on after that then? So first, I want to thank you for pointing out that not everyone is career motivated and that there are many people who grow up um, expecting parenthood to be their destination. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Like, if that's truly what you want, then more power to you. And I'm so glad that you've reached that point. Probably if you're listening to this, that maybe you're starting to reach that moment um, that we just described where maybe you're looking for more. But I don't want to diminish that decision. If you want and can financially be at home with your family in the way that you want to be, then that's a fantastic decision for you. For the clients that I work with who have always known that that maybe working mom or working parent was going to be part of their identity for all the reasons they may make that decision, a lot of the time change does ultimately come. Change might be small, doing the exact same role at a new organization, and change might be big. Going back to school, returning, changing career fields completely, um, and, and everything in between, mostly in between. I, If I can give your audience like one key takeaway, going back to school in the States where it's going to cost you tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars should be a last resort, not a first solution. When it's a first answer, it often is just pacifying the moment and not solving a problem. Unless you recognize that your life's destiny is being something that absolutely without any shadow of a doubt requires a degree like nursing or teaching and even teaching in many places, you don't have to get it. But initially, school is not always the answer, especially when it's going to cost you a ton of debt along the way. But change does typically come. But this is a kind of change that they've often never experienced before. Maybe a change that's similar to the change when they became a parent. They made a choice, possibly, or they accepted a choice that was thrust upon them. They had time to prepare. And then it occurred. In our careers, we often just sort of have a moment where we don't like where we are or we want something different. Or even if it goes on for a really long time, there's sort of like this spark that goes off that makes us start applying. And then most people will just apply for everything, anything they think they could do. Like, okay, I can do this job. It sounds similar to what I'm doing now. Maybe it's like an elevation. Maybe it's sort of the same. 
and they apply and they apply and they apply and then they apply. And some HR recruiter says, okay, you can come in for this interview and that's the job they get. They don't really make much of a choice. I think most people, once they get into an interview, just feel grateful for the interview and the job offer. And while certainly people will turn down job offers if financially it doesn't make sense or they get like a really overwhelming negative feeling about it, a lot of the time we let other people choose for us. And people do this like in moments and throughout their career. When they do it throughout their career, I often call it somersaulting, where you the first job out of college just rolls into the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. And then all of a sudden you're 10, 15 years into your career and you've never really made a choice. You've just sort of followed the path you're on. And that works for many people. And some it doesn't. And the ones that it doesn't, I help them really consciously decide what's next. And it doesn't mean that they're going to end up in the perfect next role, making double their income and loving every minute of their job. I always remind people that they pay you. It's work. It's not always going to be perfect. But what they will be able to do is sit at their desk on their bad day and say, I'm here because of X, Y, and Z. Instead of how did I get here in this terrible job? So it's defined for them and they know it and they chose it. That's a big difference. And really they define it, which is the biggest difference. They're going into it. They're not going into that interview saying, I hope I get the job. I hope I convince them. They're going into the interview saying, I'm going to put my best foot forward. I'm going to show them who I honestly am. And I'm going to evaluate them to see if we are a mutually good fit. It sort of becomes like dating a little bit, um, but in a really good way. Because if you're with a partner that doesn't fit you, it's not going to work out. And if you're in a job or at a company that really doesn't fit you, ultimately it's going to fall apart and you're going to blame yourself when it was never your fault. I wonder, do you ever have clients that come to you that decide to entirely shift fields or focus? Absolutely. Especially when somebody has entered a career path that seems very linear, like They've been a teacher for 10 years and they could stay a teacher with very little change for the foreseeable future. A lot of the times those women are recognizing that that type of stability and consistency doesn't work for them anymore. I have other times. Sorry, carry on. Okay. I have other times where someone comes to me and they're objectively doing great. They have the title they always dreamed of. They're doing the work they thought they wanted to be doing. It just doesn't fit them. Something's off. And they have, again, coming back to this word guilt. Why don't I just feel appreciative and happy that I have this title and I have this income? And then the self-doubt. Well, if I'm questioning all this and I leave this quote-unquote cushy job, this job that I always wanted, then I'm going to never get paid the same or I'm never going to have the same responsibility or no one will understand why I made this decision. And those 
two paths have different conversations that are really customized to the individual. But ultimately, it comes back to grounding in who they are today, not who they were when they graduated, not who they were 10, 12, even a few years ago if their children are a little bit older, but who are they today? What are their values? What are their interests and their strengths? And another big shift that I can share with you and your audience is not focusing on weaknesses. Like weaknesses don't matter, really. What we want to ask ourselves to cultivate a career and a life of fulfillment is what am I pretty good at that I want to get great at? What are the strengths I already possess that I can improve on? And when we create a life and a career centered on what we're already good at, it's much more fulfilling and exciting and interesting to improve and to learn about the stuff we're already good at and enjoy. And enjoy is important. You know, sometimes we're great at something that we just don't like. Leave that aside too. Like, let's focus on the stuff we love. And it's not always easy to know what we're good at and what we like. And that's something that I walk through as well. But we use data. I'm a very data driven individual. You know, I like I said, I started my career in research. I was going to be a doctor. That comes through um, in my coaching, I think, and in me as a person. And we sort of calculate our next step so that, again, when we're in the next position or even in that interview and someone says, like, why are you in front of me? We have a good answer, an answer that feels honest and true to ourselves. So that's really interesting, um, the way that you actually approach that measurably. Say, so let's actually break this down. Let's think about it logically. Well, emotions, I guess, would be one of your columns that you would calculate. Like, how is that starving to this job? Yeah. How fulfilling is it? That sort of thing. And so then they can make an informed decision. That's a really smart way to approach it. Yeah, and the other thing that we dissect is why are we attached to this? You know, is it external influence? Is it fear of time wasted? What is keeping us in this moment? And the other thing that we haven't discussed is that sometimes people don't make a change at all. And that may seem weird that someone would go to a career coach for support and not make a change. But I think that it's actually a really essential option to have on the table to continue the pause, to recognize that we're putting undue pressure on ourselves, maybe, and we can find ways to make our situation work and to make the decision in favor of stability and not to just sort of change because you invested money with a coach or because you thought you might want change, but to get grounded in where you are and then allow yourself to think about the next five years and what that could be or what that might be because a career is very, very long. (laughs) And I think that's something that we all inevitably confront. You know, like you said, you wanted to be a mom. I always knew that being a mom was going to be a part of my identity as well. I just also always knew career was going to be there. I did not understand what that would mean for me at all. But I had both, you know, if I had a bit, if there were vision boards when we were kids, they would have had both, right? And 
ultimately there are moments that are highs and lows and pauses and massive frustrations. You know, I, I feel like every day someone's getting laid off or it's in the news that a company is laying off people. And a lot of the time, what we think will take a career, like a whole career to achieve, actually can be accomplished more quickly. And then we have to revise our goals because they were too small and and nor because we misunderstood the amount of work that would be required to go into it. Maybe you set a goal that was way too big. Um, we all come with our own challenges and expectations and experiences that we try to apply to our lives, but no two lives are the same, fortunately. And so there's often misalignment in how we thought we, things were going to go and how they actually go. You talked about women who come to you and they might shift to a new career. You talked about women who you help to realize that they do want to stay in what they're doing. And I'm sure that requires a mindset readjustment, especially after having a child. What about, do you have, well, I guess two questions. Do you have women that then say, no, I, I want to be done working and I'm going to focus on motherhood right now? And then after you answer that question, the second question would be, do you make those long-term plans with them, those career plans, and how does that work with them? And like, what's the time frame? You know, is it five years? Is it 10 years? And do they come back in five years and say, right, I need to readjust. I've reached this or I haven't reached this and all of that. So long questions, but hopefully you can get the vote. Yeah. I think, so I can answer the first question by saying, I have not had a client who came to me and then actually decided to leave the workforce temporarily or long-term. And I think that's because ultimately I am a career coach. I provide career guidance. Even if they're thinking, should I leave? Some part of them errs on the side of staying in, even if that's just financially motivated. So maybe they're wishing they could be home. It's just not financially an option. If someone was on that path, though, then I would certainly support them within their needs. If they were thinking this is a short-term break, then we would talk about how they could stay involved and relevant. For example, you talked about coursework online. There's so much free content out there. We would probably discuss how they could potentially be stay relevant in the workforce through part-time or shorter opportunities, maybe volunteer work, what have you. Remind me your second question. It was about making a long-term plan with them and carrying on. Yeah. In terms of long-term planning, the first commitment I make to my clients is that I am a teacher at heart. And so I want to teach them a process they can come back to. I don't necessarily want them coming back to me. Obviously, for a business model, maybe that's imperfect, but I want to teach them because it's a guarantee they're going to confront this at some point again. It's not always easy to do it on our own. I have a, I've worked with coaches in my life who ask me questions that I ask my clients. And sometimes I think like, man, if I could just do this myself, then I could save this money, right? But it's not always so easy. In terms of long-term planning, I ask my clients to think about five years. What, what could they see themselves doing in the next five years or so? 
And when they look at new career paths, especially, but even the one they're on right now, a good first start to thinking about change is if I look at the person who's five to 10 years ahead of me, would I be pretty happy if I were that person? If the answer is hard no, you have an answer that change is coming. And again, like I just want to reiterate, change doesn't have to happen overnight. You can decide, I really don't like the way five to 10 years looks for me, but I'm also just going to sit tight for a minute because my baby doesn't sleep or my partner lost their job or I'm a single mom by choice and I don't have the luxury of just sort of quitting, right? I think a lot of people feel like everyone else could just walk out any day they want and their particular situation doesn't allow that. That's very, very rare that someone can truly just upend their lives and start over. And a lot of people think I should quit my job and start looking for a new one. They should take time off, quote unquote, to look for a new job. And I fully do not think that that is necessary. And it can be detrimental to them because a gap, an unexplained gap, can be really challenging to overcome in that initial phase of a job search, which is a resume. Anytime somebody is going to give you, is going to question your um, being out of work, it's going to be a little bit more challenging. So just from a practical perspective, but also I've been laid off in my life. Have you ever been without work when you wanted work? It It isn't so easy to get motivated to go and take a course or apply for jobs. It doesn't, it should be, it should be a whole eight hours that you get back in your life and you have luxury of time and freedom. But somehow most people I know use that time to watch Netflix and not apply for jobs. <laughs> um, and so I think taking, again, that that very realistic perspective of what we would do if we did just call it quits and hope we could find a job within the time that financially that would be possible for us is really important as well. It's really easy to just slide into lethargy when you don't have, so I, I mean, during COVID and those sort of things. And yeah. Yeah. So it's structure definitely helps. Definitely. That's something that's demanding that you're there. And also... Uh, I'll add to the structure aspect, being out of work in that initial phase isn't so terrible if you have made a decision that's like financially secure. Like if you know you can go a month without work or what have you, and you have that in your mind, then it's going to feel like a vacation. (laughs) It's not going to have the pressure to find something new. And when we're in a job that isn't suiting us, assuming it's not um, truly problematic, like if you're threatened or or otherwise abused or like there's true things going on, if you're just in a job that like kind of sucks, then being there, getting your income, creating further financial stability for yourself and deliberately applying for jobs you truly want. It's not going to become a 
second or third or fourth job to be applying for jobs. It's going to become routine, a small portion of your day, and you're going to want to sit down and do it because you want something better. Sitting on the couch watching Netflix and eating snacks is not going to provide that same amount of pressure. (laughs) Exactly. I think you're really right about that because once that pressure is alleviated, then people will just um, be like, oh, well, I could just do this. And and honestly, I find momentum creates momentum. Yeah, absolutely. There is an aspect of having the job, cultivating interest in you, doing the thing, even if you're consistently getting rejected. And I would definitely not want to imply that the only way you should be conducting a job search is by applying online. It's an absolutely essential part of the world we live in, but it should also have other components like networking and outreach and and a myriad of other things. Yeah. It sounds like your analytical um, brain is really good in this job because when women have a child and well, there's nothing wrong with having emotions. I'm not condemning that. What I'm saying is that it is easy to slide into an emotional decision that could be adverse to yourself or your family. And it sounds like you're able to come in and say, right, let's pause for just a minute and maintain what is working. Don't fix it if it's not broken. And let's make something better for you. Absolutely. And I think one of the drivers for this feeling, especially if you're in the six months to a year time frame of of your child. So if you're in those really early days, I think one of the drivers is that your home life where you want a lot of stability is extremely chaotic. And when your work life is boring and stable and consistent, I think it can create internal strife where you are just frustrated by your whole situation. And so part of it is, well, if I just got rid of this boring, stable job, maybe I could create stability in my home life, which no, you cannot create stability with a one-year-old or a less than one-year-old. But also it's an easy out. It's a way to create change that you're fully in control of, that you could feel like you're taking control of a situation. But in fact, you're introducing a new level of chaos. And if you don't make that decision with a tremendous amount of thought and effort, you're likely to just have another reason to be frustrated, not to have alleviated a part of your overwhelm and stress. Well, I would say not just thought and effort, but preparation and planning, like what you were talking about. Because otherwise, (laughs) it could be really bad financially. Speaking of which, I have a question about that. And I remember when I first started having my own children, and there were a lot of moms who worked that were, you know, had kids the same age as me. And I remember most of them talking about the price of childcare. And I did the math for several of them and for myself. And I realized that most of their income was going directly to childcare. And I thought, well, at a certain point, it's actually better financially for you just to be home. Because if you have one child, that's almost all your income if you're at a lower income level. You have two, that can be 
right over top of your salary and there's actually no point in you working at all. So what is the kind of level of income that women need? I know it's going to vary, but um, how much of the percentage of their income would be worth going to childcare and at what percentage bracket would it just be like, There's this is no longer worth it because the meaning that I get from work is not enough to make up the gap, if that makes sense. I don't think there's numbers that we can apply. Like, if only it were that easy. The first thing that I want to adjust in this conversation is that while this decision is inevitably going to be financially motivated, it shouldn't be wholly financially motivated because you as a woman, as a person, deserve whatever areas of your life you want. So even if someone was spending every single dollar of their income, of their personal income, and I think in this scenario, we're assuming that there is a secondary person, but even if every dollar of your income or every dollar that you could spare, let's put it that way, if someone's spending every dollar they could spare on childcare, but they feel like a more whole person by being at work, I think that's a perfectly acceptable decision. In the States, we we might make a decision to spend every single dollar we could spare because we need health insurance. So there are a lot of factors that can go into that decision-making process. The other thing that I would encourage women in this moment who are having this decision, you know, money, et cetera, is earning potential, lost earning potential over their careers. So if leaving the workforce would limit your earning opportunity or the time it would take you to earn a certain amount of money in the future, that could be a consideration as well. You may make a decision in the short term to have things be quite tight because in the long term, that's going to have an upside for you. And I think we see this playing out in some ways here where teaching is a profession which is quite stable. Many teachers that I know, and this will not apply to everyone, so forgive me if this is not your scenario, but I will be very specific in saying that in the New York City public school system, your job is protected for five years after having a child. This is unheard of in almost any other field. I hope that at least other teachers have this potentially, but it's certainly unheard of in, in a corporate world. And so you may make the decision within your family situation to leave the workforce for some time, knowing that when you return, nothing has really changed. You're not going to have to consider a pay loss. You may not even have to look for a new job because it's preserved and the details, you know, for me uh, are not essential to this conversation of exactly what happens. But that may be a scenario where you can make a calculated decision to leave. If you are in a different situation and that's not your outcome, and I think in much of the world, much of the developed world, it is the case that people could leave for an extended period of time. So we won't go down the road of the U.S. needs to catch up. But all that to say, I don't think it should be a decision that's 
wholly financially motivated. And I am certain there's at least one mom listening to this saying, well, I couldn't afford to work because my money would have gone to daycare entirely. And they feel like they were forced into that and that it doesn't suit them. And for me, being a working mom makes me a much better mom to my daughter. It shows her options. We talked about like giving her a a world of that's better than the one we had or, or different than the one we had. It shows her what I can be capable of. And it provides me a way to use the different areas of my brain, which is very important for for my sanity, frankly. <laughs> Fair enough. No, that makes a lot of sense. In the UK, um, the law is that I think it's a year, you get maternity leave for a year, and then you return to work after that. If you want to, you have to work at least three months after that um, before you're allowed to well, you can quit earlier, but you're not entitled to the maternity pay unless you work for at least three months after returning. But it's not it's not a five-year pause. For, so I guess you're right. It makes a lot of sense that you would have to do the financial uh, math to figure out if it's financially feasible. But then I hadn't thought of that uh, lost future earnings, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it is a different way to think about it. We tend to be very in the moment today or like hugely in the future. It's hard for us to think in the middle. Um, I know I am 35. It feels really weird that high school was so many years ago, like 20 years ago. Like that seems impossible, but it is. And so I think looking 20 years in the future is equally challenging to thinking 20 years back. Like I, I really relate to memes that I see on social media. They're like, Oh, 20 years ago, like the 80s, there's something that happens for us that just makes it really difficult to look at like mid-sized chunks of time, at least for me, uh, and think about what those intermediate periods are. If I said to you or if I say to a client, what do you think the future is going to look like? They are looking like retirement, not all those steps in the middle. Or even if we look backwards, if you had said to me when I was graduating college, what's the future going to look like? I probably would have said, I have a little kid and I have a partner. But that the the periods are defined in, a, in an odd way. So I think that's why we often look at today as it is or what we think is a very distant future. And that changes along with our identities and perspectives. For me, 35 was like way away when I was 22, but way away is very different at 35. I remember in university, they'd say, make a five-year plan for where you want to be in five years. But I can't remember the last time I sat down and made a five-year plan. And that would be a good exercise that I would do and I'd invite the audience to do as well. I Just to sit down and say, in five, because the time just races by and you're so busy. But to stop and say, I'm going to make a trajectory of what I would like to do and be. Um, it's surprising how much because the years, the years just, I mean, like you look at the year and you're already planning for your next holiday and next summer and you have to book it now. And if you look at that, that's whole nine months away. And then that's almost a year and it just goes by so quickly. But you can also do a lot in the interim. Those little daily actions add up 
and we don't think about it and we don't break it down. So it's really good to have that end goal, have that five-year, 10-year plan. Yeah, even just thinking one year ahead, I know, my, so a lot of airlines, you have to start paying for a child when they're two years old. They can't be a lap child anymore. And if you had asked me before I had my daughter, I would have told you, we're going to be flying all over the place and taking advantage of this. We took one flight with her. I think it was very ambitious to think I was going to be flying all over with a with a child and that not is not the parent that I am. I have friends who are that parent and more power to them. But even taking one year and we're talking at the end of 2023, so by the time this goes live, it, it may be a little bit forward in the in to the year, but thinking what could the next 12 months be? How do I want to use my time in general? If you're working, you have a limited amount of PTO or if you're at a company that is like distracting you with unlimited PTO, make a conscious decision about how you're going to use that time. Look at the calendar ahead. Something that is oddly intimidating for a lot of people is to look ahead and see the limitations they may have or to see what life has put on them. But can we make the shift that that's empowering and plan for what we really want around those things and embrace what life is going to be because we're not going to change it. So what are your choices otherwise? It sounds like doing that would get you to give yourself some deadlines because then you say, well, there is an actual deadline at the end of my life. And let's look forward and make some here. So this time we have matters. Yeah. And there is a certain value in that like morbid recognition of our mortality to say, you know, God forbid something happened. What would I want to do or how would I want to use my time? Not often. Please don't like every day start your day that way. But if we look at the big picture and how we're using our time and what do we want more of? So many women and moms live life in the shoulds. I should go to the gym. I should make dinner. I should play with my child. And I, while it's not my focus on like life coaching, there is a certain aspect of wanting to help women see that they can cultivate a life within their career, of course, but also beyond their career, that isn't a checklist, but is instead filled with things they enjoy. So not everyone loves pretend play. That's fine. How can you play with your child? How can you exercise in a way that is even slightly enjoyable versus a way that's really stressful, right? Like I recently am confronting that for my life. Before I had my child, I was super, super active. Uh, years ago now, things, the pandemic, I ran the New York City Marathon. That was a core part of my identity. And it's been something that's been very difficult to bring back in now. The things I once enjoyed either don't feel worthwhile or it feels too hard to fit them in. And I'm really trying to listen to that voice and hear, is this an excuse or is this just not working for me? 
And that might be adjusting the time you're working out or the way you're working out or the type of exercise you're doing and finding a way to be kind to yourself and make decisions that are supportive of you and feel at least decent for you is going to lead to a more fulfilled life ultimately because we're going to know why you're there, why we're there, whether that's sitting in a job on a day you get a slap on the wrist metaphorically for you know making an error or running in a race. If you can think like I made a decision to do this thing based upon X, Y, and Z because I know I am fulfilled by, I am good at, I am blank to put myself here, it's going to be a lot easier than the world thrust this marathon upon me and I had no other choice and now I'm in pain at mile 20. That was a really good summary of what you do and I think our entire discussion. Thank you for for all of that. Is there anything else that you would want to add or, or leave like you were saying, takeaways or tidbits before we finish? We talked about mission I think one of my missions is to help women see that they have a choice in their career path. They don't have to do the thing they can do or they've been doing. They can evaluate and make a decision about how to move forward. And like we said, it doesn't always mean drastic change. It just means knowing why you are where you are. So I invite you, if you are not feeling like you're making a decision and would like some help to connect with me, you can do so on Instagram at Career Coach Jamie, my website, jamieterran.com, schedule a complimentary consultation. Or if you're just curious about hearing other women's career journeys and some more of my advice, you can check out my podcast at So Tell Me About Yourself. That was brilliant. I was going to ask you where people could find you, but you've done it. So thank you so much. Um, We will make sure we link all of that below. And thanks again for your time, Jamie. I really hope that um, the women who have listened to this have a light bulb moment. And there have been several golden nuggets you've dropped along the way, things that will just help them to have, yeah, hopefully connect with you and get some guidance. So thank you again. Um, Thanks so much for having me. We'll talk soon. We will. Thank you, everyone, for coming and watching. I hope you have a great day. We will see you later. Bye. Bye.